The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. If you could learn more about spirituality and how it can work in your favor, would you be intrigued? Of course you would. It's time to get real. This is Get Real Radio with your host, James Robinson. In our show, we'll interview fascinating guests with the intent of bringing you closer to who you really want to be. Get ready for some of the most profound radio on any airwaves today. Now, here is James Robinson. Hello, everyone. This is Get Real Radio with your host, James Robinson. And today we're going to have a little bit different format in that not only will I be your host, I will be your guest. And why I wanted to do this was because I I know that a lot of you know who I am, but there are probably many of you that have no idea what my background is or why I would have a program called Get Real Radio. So I thought I'd take this uh, segment and explain myself and my background and the way I think about things, and hopefully you'll get something out of it. I grew up in North Carolina, uh, was born in 1953, so one of the most amazing things in my life is that I'm old enough to have seen a lot of changes. I can remember but you know, before they had recording machines, I can remember going into my father's law office and seeing a big switchboard where the operator actually had cables and plugs. And when an incoming call would come in, she'd pull it out of the, the bottom and plug it into the big rack of holes. And that's how uh, the technology in uh, North Carolina w- worked when I was very young. And then I have seen recording devices go from true floppy disk, which were these round, very floppy vinyl discs that you would put into a machine and you'd have a handheld microphone and you would dictate into that and then you would hand your secretary this blue vinyl disc and she would take it to her station and type it up on an old Remington which had a ribbon and everything else and so not only has our world changed a great deal uh, from my early age, I've, I've seen the way that people view the world change a great deal because uh, well, I grew up in the 50s and 60s and the onslaught of Eastern philosophy, the Beatles, and a lot of different ideas came to the United States and people started looking at life a lot differently. I was uh, born into a family of lawyers who my great-grandfather Although he was a farmer, he was also a justice of the peace. My grandfather was a lawyer. My father is a lawyer. I was a lawyer for many years, which we'll get into in a bit. And I've got two brothers that are lawyers. So I have a legacy of left-brain thinking that has been quite the challenge to overcome. The 
the experience that I had in practicing law kind of reflected my life in that uh, I've done a lot of different things. And I started out being a real estate lawyer. Then I went into bankruptcy and trial practice. I did tax uh, returns for a while. And I know that that memory probably makes my old law partners shake in their boots. But it was an experience that kind of broadened my horizons a little bit. It was definitely uncomfortable. I can remember doing my first tax returns with a ballpoint pen and ink, and that was not a very good idea. So the experiences I've had and gone from everywhere from real estate to trial law to divorce law to corporate law to business law, tax law, on and on and on. So I I didn't do a lot of criminal work mainly because I didn't feel comfortable facing my client's freedom on my ability to persuade anybody to do something. I didn't have any trouble talking to a jury about whether or not somebody hurt my client, but it was like a much different thing for me psychologically to try to defend somebody who's accused of a violent crime. So I never went on that side of the uh, courthouse. I've been uh, had a, also have had a quite a wide variety of life experiences. Uh, I've been married and divorced twice. I have two grown sons uh, who were quite the handful because both of them, had, in their adolescence, had were diagnosed with behavioral issues. Uh, today, I'm not sure that those were correct diagnoses, but we did have to intervene and have them uh, taken to wilderness. Uh, readjustment camps where they learned how to behave in constructive ways. And we're fortunate that we had enough money to send them to those camps. But I did learn how to deal with people who were behaving badly. Um, You know, it's uh, like everything else in my life, I've had a vast difference in experiences with in relationships. My first wife and I are still on speaking terms, but my second wife hasn't spoken to me in 15 years, which is fairly uncommon when you have a child that you're trying to raise. But in any event, that's the way it was. When I turned 50 years old, I started questioning everything about my life because I had been brought up in a very strict uh, household. My father was a graduate of the West Point United States Military Academy, and he was very disciplined, and we grew up in a very disciplined household where I have three brothers and no sisters, and we spent a lot of time finding out that if we didn't do exactly what the commanding general wanted us to do, that there would be consequences to that. And I guess in a humorous way or ironic way, I found out about karma very quickly in my as a child because if you didn't do as the authority figure wanted you to do, then that would have dire consequences. So I grew up with a real unusual way of viewing relationships and which have played out in my marriages. But it's kind of like the thing that uh, I remember the most about my childhood is how strict it was. And 
that has also, just like technology and the way we do business and everything else, the thoughts about how to raise a child have changed dramatically um, over the last 60 years as where we're a little bit more understanding and a little bit more compassionate and we've been able to look at it from the child's point of view and also we've had to deal with the effects of dysfunctional families uh, in society. So we've learned that uh, the old saying of sparing the rod spoils a child is not necessarily true. So we know a lot more about how to raise children these days, mainly because we have a vast array of data. We have a lot of informational tools available to us, and we have a lot more people who are studying the effects of what happens when a parent does this or what happens when a parent does that. And so we know a little bit more about the long-range effects of uh, raising children. Uh, I went, uh, after about practicing law for almost 30 years, it was more like 27, uh, I started having real anxiety. I started having uh, real questions about whether or not I was doing what I was, quote, meant to be doing. And this was before a lot of attention was given to, you know, what is my life purpose? And, and I know that this question comes up a lot in conferences so uh, that I go to and workshops that you go to. People want to know why they came to this planet. They want to know what is their true life purpose. They're seeking for some sort of satisfaction or uh, self-validation. And when I grew up, it was kind of like you were told what you were going to do. That's a very old school kind of thinking where, you know, as a child, you would be asked, what would you like to do uh, when you grow up? And if you said something like, well, I want to be a uh, cowboy or if I wanted to be a uh, fighter pilot or anything like that, it was usually criticized and we were told, no, that's not a proper uh, avocation for you. You need to think of something more practical, something that is more uh, lucrative. And so, you know, my dreams were starting to be shaped at a very early age. And, and when we start talking about the topic of the show, which is everything we know is a lie, I'll, I'll tie all this back together. But the thing is, is that I was pretty much groomed to go into one of two different fields. One is I was, uh, because of my father's background in the military, he really, really wanted me to go into the military. But I was a child of the 50s, and the 60s happened, and then I was eligible for the draft in 1971, and, or, excuse me, and, uh, yeah, 1971, and the, uh, I had a high enough draft number where I would not have been picked. My father tried very hard to get me to volunteer to go into the United States Military Academy, which I really uh, had a problem with because I knew we had all this publicity and, and, so, and TV about what was happening in Vietnam and uh, that in far places of the world and the thought that I should go and get 
shot or killed did not appeal to me at all. Go figure. So the other area that I was being groomed for was the practice of law, which was the family business. And so when I graduated from college and I really didn't have any passionate notion of what I wanted to do with my life, I was uh, told, well, be a lawyer. At least you'll make money. And so for 27 years, I was a lawyer. And all that time, I felt like I was living somebody else's life. And some of you listening to this show might be able to relate to that because I did everything I could to please everybody that was involved in my endeavors. And still, even though I was very successful, I was had a great reputation, I was very well respected, you know, all the things that people want in life, I was very, very unhappy. And I could not really get a handle on that until I actually quit and started exploring other ways of uh, living my life. And so in 2004, I had the distinct pleasure of walking into my father's office, who was my senior law partner, and telling him that I was going to quit. And he kind of looked at me like I had lost my mind and kind of looked at me and said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, I had no idea. So that convinced him that I probably uh, needed to go and check myself into a mental ward somewhere. And But I stuck to my guns and decided not to continue that. And so I really didn't have any idea of what I was going to do. I was, I was single or divorced and my children were independent and, or incarcerated as the case may be. And they, so I didn't have any day-to-day requirements that I had to be any particular place. So one thing that I really was interested in was this notion of spiritual healing or energy healing or alternative healing because I'd always dreamed of being a wizard like Merlin and I'd read uh, Knights of the Round Table fantasy books and science fiction books and gobbled them up in hundreds hundreds of books a year and I had this fantasy that I could raise my hand and things would change. Either rain would fall from the sky or uh, something would heal or lead would turn into gold. And I convinced myself, and now you got to remember, I was 50 years old with a background of 30 years of practicing law, and I'd raised two families and usually was perceived as being a fairly practical person. So for me to be sitting there dreaming of a life that most people would think was insane was uh, something that wasn't mainstream. And However, I decided that that is what I wanted to do, and by golly, that's what I was going to go do. So I I went off for a while. I went and, and... help build an eco-lodge in Canada, just waiting for something to happen. And then I met a, a woman named Star Fuentes who was teaching alternative healing and spiritual healing. And I studied with her for uh, 
quite a number of years, over two years, even lived with her for a while. And I even studied high magic. I learned how to do things that most people would think are impossible, but I've seen it happen. And I see that by the clock, I have to stop for a second and let my sponsors have a word in edgewise. And, you know, that's why we're here. So uh, I will continue with the saga when we come back. This is Get Real Radio with James Robinson and my special guest, James Robinson. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Get Real Radio with James Robinson. We'd love to hear from you. Please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to mr.jamesmedia at gmail.com. That's mr.jamesmedia at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Get Real Radio with James Robinson, your host. And I am my own guest today, so, and I wanted to have this session because, or this show with me, so I could explain who I am and where I got the idea of Get Real Radio, and, and the topic for today is everything we know is a lie, and I'll explain that in just a second, but continuing where I was uh, when we took a break, I studied with Star Fuentes for two years, who was a miss. She was a well-known healer in, in spiritual circles. She did a lot of magical things. She taught a lot of very arcane and mystical courses, which suited me just fine. And I learned a lot about the psychology of healing from her, and also learned about some of the things, some of the what they call woo-woo stuff that some people would look at and go, "That's got to be the most craziest thing I've ever heard." But it worked for me. 
And then after I studied with her for two years, I met an Irish uh, teacher named Derek O'Neill, who was based uh, in uh, Ireland, and he taught me a lot more about the philosophy and psychology of spirituality. And even though he had a, an amazing talent to heal people, the thing that I got the most from Derek was how it was almost a, he taught a pretty much a Eastern philosophy about life, whether it was Buddhism or Hinduism or the that side of the world's way of looking at life. I learned an awful lot about uh, why life is the way it is and how our thinking colors our world. And then after Derek, I met a man named Mahindra Trivedi, who was more of a, a classical, traditional Indian guru. And he was in the United States and still has a religious uh, practice or a spiritual organization here in the United States. And then after being with him, I I decided that I think that I've learned all that I need to learn from other people. And now I'm off learning about life on my own. Now, sometimes I'll I'll go take workshops from like Mas Sajati, who is a very uh, exciting teacher and spiritual healer, who's just now becoming uh, popular here in the United States. And people like Bratzo, who is a Cro- Croatian healer. And so there's lots of people out there that can help you understand the world and, and your life much better. They all have their different flavor. Um, like Derek O'Neill says, we all are we all are ice cream, but each one is our own flavor. And the the point is, is that I started questioning a lot about why do I think the way that I think, because most of that was getting me into trouble, and it would get me into trouble with relationships. It would get me into trouble in business. It would get me into trouble mainly because I was miserable from time to time, and I could not understand why it was that I was so miserable. So I started looking at why I thought the way that I thought and learned a lot from my teachers about the fundamentals of that. But this segues into what do I mean by everything we know is a lie. And the reason I say that is because we live in a subjective world. And that is, being a trial lawyer, it often was so interesting to me that you could get 10 people that witnessed a accident or a crime happening or a event of some kind, and you would get... 10 different versions of what happened, and a lot of them weren't even consistent. They were completely different versions of what happened. And as a lawyer, I would see that, well, it depended on who the person was that was observing the event. What were their beliefs? What were their understanding of the world? What were their experiences. Another example is there's a documentary out there that's fascinating that they did an experiment in the desert in New Mexico where all of the alien sightings are supposed to happen. And they took some people and they put helmets on them with cameras so the cameras could record everything that these people saw. And they marched these people through the desert and they 
they would have soldiers go running by, and they would have sheets of aluminum foil stuck or, stuck around. They would have metal structures blown up and thrown all the way around the desert, and they wouldn't tell the people what they were witnessing, but they would come back to the uh, classroom, and they would interview these people about what they saw, and almost all of them thought that they had saw, seen some sort of alien event. In other words, they thought they had saw, seen aliens. They thought they had seen aliens shooting at the soldiers. They thought they saw soldiers shooting at the aliens. And when you look at the videos of the cameras that recorded everything these people saw, it was completely different. And the most amazing thing is they came back five years later and interviewed these people, and a number of them were claiming that they had been abducted by the aliens. And their memories were so different than what they originally had claimed they saw, which was completely different than what the cameras captured of what they saw. So the point of that is that what we see is not necessarily what is actually happening because we have these filters which are belief systems and experiences and whatever else that we interpret what we see and that's uh, something that is really colors our understanding of the world so how do these beliefs get started, and why do we look at things so differently? Um, the first thing are our emotions, our beliefs, our thoughts, and our understanding of what it is that we're looking at. You know, they, there's an old joke about the fact if you get two blind people and put one on one side of an elephant and one on the other side of an elephant, they're going to tell you and ask them to feel and describe what it is that they're feeling, you're going to get completely different answers. And that's kind of like the way we are. Even though we're not necessarily blind, we are subjected to certain ways of interpreting information that changes how we understand that information. It's, it's like we're hypnotized or we're brainwashed from the day we hit the ground uh, on the day we're born. And there's a number of different ways that we get brainwashed or hypnotized as we are born and raised. The first one is, and everybody I think understands this one, is religion. Because if you're from a family that has a certain religion, then they have a certain way of looking at the world. It doesn't matter which religion it is. Every one of those religions interprets the world the way that their literature interprets the world. You know, the, the, you know, the really sad thing about religions is that most of them interpret the world in a violent way. In other words, the religion tells you that if you don't act in a certain way, then something terrible is going to happen to you. I was a ordained deacon, and I guess I still am, an ordained deacon in the Southern Baptist Church. And I can remember uh, teaching Sunday school. And one of the last days I was a teacher, they asked me to teach a Sunday school lesson that said that infants go to hell when they die because they're not saved. And everybody who is not saved goes to hell. And I had 
a, a real problem with that. I thought that that was the most ridiculous thing that I'd ever heard of. Somebody who was born into this world, arguably with no sin whatsoever, they're not even old enough to have committed anything uh, contrary to the religious teachings, their claiming went to hell because they had not satisfied the requirements of going to heaven as it's taught by that religion. And I saw six-year-olds coming down the aisle when the preacher would say, would anybody like to be saved? And the reason that they were coming down the aisle wasn't because that they had were totally indoctrinated into the thinking of that religious group. It was because they were scared of going to hell. And they were crying because they were scared that they were going to go to hell if they didn't go get, uh, as we call it, dunked in the baptismal pool. And so the way that that religion and a lot of religions, especially fundamental religions, is they control you by fear. And they control the way you think by fear because if you don't think the way they think, you're going to hell. And that is how we get brainwashed or we get uh, hypnotized into thinking that the world is the way that we think it is. Another way we get hypnotized or uh, brainwashed is through role models. And, And that's the classic boys play with soldier dolls and girls play with Barbie dolls. And that has, you know, as we've seen in later years, these dolls have no... Uh, correlation to a healthy body. They're just totally, uh, the proportions are wrong, but however, they create this idea in our head that skinny's good and uh, a healthy body is bad. So as a result, we have millions of kids with eating disorders. We have lots of traumatized kids because they're not the right body shape. We've gone from one extreme that curvy is sexy to one where uh, no curves are sexy. And it's, you know, we've been hypnotized or brainwashed into thinking that something is good or something is bad. And when we look at somebody, because we've been brainwashed, what we see is either beautiful or ugly. You get somebody who's been brought up in another culture that thinks that the opposite is true, they're going to think the beautiful person is ugly and the ugly person is beautiful. And one of the things that kind of sounded amazing to me when I read it was that it is the thing that's rare that we are attracted to. So now... Because back in the uh, early parts of the 18th and 19th centuries, food was very hard to come by. And very, very few people were actually uh, healthy enough or even fat enough to have curves. And so they were the ones that were that way, the curvy uh, women, the fat men, were idolized. They were signs that they were wealthy. They were signs that they were healthy. And so they were the desirable people. Now, while everybody is obese in this culture, or 50% of the people are obese, we started idolizing stick figures, the models, the supermodels, and everything else that people think is attractive. And so we've got a completely different view of what's good, bad, ugly, beautiful, et cetera, et cetera. We also uh, learn at an early age that some 
activities are good. Some activities are bad. Uh, and that is constantly changing. We have uh, ways of teaching our children to divide and conquer. And that, by that I mean the educational system where we teach our children that we are competing against each other. The ones that can regurgitate the information the best are better than the ones that don't do so well. And so people's whole psyches can be either formed in a healthy way or, or tragically stunted by the way they compete. And what we're starting to understand now, that competition really isn't that great. That competition is where wars come from, where people are prone to violence because they want something that somebody else has, or they want to protect what they've got from somebody else. And that whole notion that I am better than you uh, will definitely create problems, especially along gender lines or ethnic lines or racial lines. And I ran into that a lot as a lawyer because if you saw, uh, they did these studies where they would have different people uh, being filmed, bending down and picking up a wallet. And if they were one from one culture or one ethno-racial uh, persuasion, the audience would think that they are stealing the wallet. Or if it was some other ethnic persuasion, they would think that, well, that person is helping the other person out. And so we get, this is what I mean by we are so subjective in our uh, observations of the world, and what we believe will definitely make a difference in what we're seeing. The if you look at the brain itself, it is so complex and so many people don't even understand how it impacts on their uh, observation of reality. Um, you know, science uh, started out by saying, well, if it's not objective, then it's not real. But now quantum physics and a lot of other scientists are actually finding out that what we see proves itself. There are uh, scientists like Max Planck who actually did all of the mathematics for the uh, discovering waves and particles and all that stuff. And they did an experiment, and when they set it up to uh, record waves, they saw waves. When they set it up to record particles, they recorded particles. When they set it up to record both, they recorded both. And so it's how we perceive the information that's so important. Well, I'm being told once again that I have to be quiet for a few minutes, as hard as that is. And we're going to take a quick break to let our sponsors uh, tell you why you should buy their products. And um, this is Gut Get Real Radio with your host, James Robinson. <laughs> Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. 
The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Get Real Radio with James Robinson. We'd love to hear from you. Please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to mr.jamesmedia at gmail.com. That's mr.jamesmedia at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to Get Real Radio with your host, James Robinson. And today's show is with myself because one of the things that I I do want to share with people is that there are very many different ways of looking at our world, all of which makes a difference in what you experience. And so I decided to do the show with just myself talking so I could uh, share some information that I've learned along the way, uh, which I shared earlier in the show. But the thing I was talking about at break was our happy little brain. And there are actually a number of different separate and distinct parts to the brain, and each one does a separate task. What we perceive to be feelings, thoughts, or beliefs are simply functions of different parts of our brain. Uh, Emotions, for example, are actually generated in the brain. So when we say that we feel something, what we're actually doing is experiencing it in a certain way because it's being experienced in a certain part of our brain. We also know that each cell has a, even though it's limited, it has a consciousness, uh, it has DNA, and it has ability to recreate itself. There are organs that actually have synapses. The heart, for example, although it's not you normally thought of as a sentient organ, it has similar structures that we find in the brain. And so it may well actually be true that love and emotions may be generated in parts of the heart. Uh The one thing that we get so confused about is that what we may perceive to be happening outside of ourselves 
may actually be uh, activity in our brain. And let me let me explain that. Say, for example, you've lost a, a limb, a foot, a hand, or whatever else. It's very common for these people to feel pain in those parts of the body, even though they don't have that part of the body anymore. So you're feeling the pain outside of yourself. In other words, it feels like your hand is hurting or somebody's doing something to your hand. But actually, that is simply something that's going on that's being triggered in your brain. Another uh, example of this is hypnotism because I've seen a lot of people be hypnotized into thinking that they saw something and when they really didn't. And But they will sit there and argue with you until the cows come home that they saw what they saw when it was just an implant into your hypnotized brain where it was a hypnotic suggestion. And there's also um, this thing that we call happiness. And it's something that is universal. I think we all agree that we would love to be happy, but we can't seem to get a handle on or we can't seem to agree on what exactly happiness is. And one of the biggest problems we have with that is language. When you want to help somebody be lang- to be happy, you have to understand what it is they think happy is. I mean, some people may think being happy is uh, based on material things. Some people may think that happiness is the absence of pain. Some people may think that happiness is that you win the lottery and your life is easy. And the truth is, and what all the philosophers and psychiatrists and everybody else that I've studied with for 10 years now, they all agree is that happiness has nothing to do with any of that. Happiness is actually a feeling. It's not a possession. It's not the um, getting what you want. It's not the avoidance of pain. Being happiness, being happy and being a feeling, it is a feeling that you feel no matter what is happening to you uh, or what your perception is that is happening to you. It's a way that your brain interprets information that's disassociated or detached from what you're perceiving. And I believe, and I think a lot of people who have studied this phenomenon in clinics and everything else would agree, that happiness is our natural state of being. We are actually hardwired to be happy. What happens to us is all of this brainwashing and hypnotizing that goes on as we grow up and we learn from our parents, we, roll, we learn from role models in movies and TV, we learn from our peers in school, we learn from social media these days and technology, what the way that we need to be in order to be happy. And the problem is, is that all of that is an illusion. And by that, I mean, it's untrue. Because there's only, in my experience, there's only one way to be happy, and that is to be focused on being happy. When you can focus on being happy and focus to the point of 
not thinking about unpleasant subjects or thinking about the future or thinking about the past. There's a lot of books out these days about the concept of the present and being focused on being in the present moment. And the reality of that is that you're basically training your mind to be focused on what's happening to you in the moment. There's an old saying, both when I was practicing law and in the spiritual communities I uh, associate with these days, and that is 90% of what we worry about never happens. But that doesn't stop us from worrying about it anyway. But the what you have to do is you have to meet with somebody or study with somebody or find a book or listen to a lecture that explains to you that what you think about matters. And it's, it's ironic that that choice of words, because matter is, think, is something that we consider to be dense. In other words, physical. It's a physical plane uh, concept. And yet... We apply it, as I'm talking in terms of language, to things that are, are not solid. We're talking about the way we feel about things, the way that we interpret things, and the way we experience things. So when we say that something matters or it doesn't matter, there's a hidden message there that we are making our thoughts physical, and that we do it we don't even realize we're doing it. And that's what creates what we experience as reality. If we somehow believe, and this is where the subconscious mind comes in, and I deal with the subconscious mind in uh, my training and healing and workshops all the time because the subconscious mind is actually what you're thinking about when you're not thinking about it. And what I mean by that is that when we're sitting there doodling on a piece of paper or unfocused and we're just letting our minds wander, what are you thinking about? What are you thinking about? You know, a lot of people worry about what's going to happen in the future, and it has a physical effect on their body because that's actually activating a part of your brain that's called the limbic brain, and that's in the back of your brain near the... Uh, a medulla oblongata, your spinal column, and it is a prehistoric brain that is solely concerned with fight or flight. That's the only thing it thinks about. So when you turn off your frontal cortex and you're not focused on what you're thinking about, it can actually activate your fight or flight syndrome, and all of a sudden you have this terrible feeling in the pit of your stomach, you're hyperventilating, you can't breathe, you're panicking, all because of the fact of you were thinking about something in the future. And so the easy way to stop that is to focus on what's happening to you right now because that engages your frontal lobe, your cervical cortex, and you can start thinking, well, things there's there are no dinosaurs chasing me and I am doing pretty well. That turns off the limbic brain and you go back to a state of feeling happy. That's just the way the brain works. There's nothing wrong with being anxious or worried. You're just not aware of why you're anxious or worried. And that's how pervasive our mind is in our lives. Some people call it ego. 
the ego is actually a part of your brain that's the analytical part of your brain that tries to figure everything out. We have other parts of our brain that are underutilized, and if we can actually use them, we can offset the ego. The one thing that we have to remember is the ego is good because if we didn't have an ego, we could not tie our shoes. We wouldn't know how because the right brain, the limbic brain, the frontal cortex, the memories, all of that have nothing to do with the motor control and analytical thinking that is required to tie your shoe or get in your car or go to work and earn a living. All of that is the ego. So we shouldn't be so quick to criticize the ego. What we should do is understanding that the ego is just a small part of our brain and we shouldn't allow it to take control. It's a tool that actually has become the master. But one of the things that I've I've found with a lot of people is that when they talk, they are not listening to what they're saying. And by that I mean, let's say somebody, you do something that you regret. You didn't know that the outcome was going to be the way that it was. You probably are feeling some sort of feeling about feeling guilty about not knowing that's what would happen or you're feeling guilty that you might have upset somebody else. And what are we taught to say? We're taught to say, I'm sorry. And there's a subliminal message to ourselves that when we say stuff like that, that we're telling ourselves that there's something wrong with us. In other words, sorry in the sense that we're not worthy. So, and we do this all the time. So we have to be very careful about what we're saying. One of my teachers, Star Fuentes, used to love to say, what goes, comes out of our mouth is a hundred times more important than what goes into our mouth. And that is something that I try to remember on a daily basis. And I try to check and think about what it is I'm going to say before I say it. Because a lot of times, sometimes words cut like a knife. And, you know, some people, uh, it's asking too much to ask them to forgive you right away. They're going to have to process that, what you said, and then they're going to have to get over it. But you cannot force them to do that. You know, and that's all because we're not focused on what we're saying. You know, I, I um, tend to be running out of time, and usually when you let me talk without anybody uh, telling me to take a breath, you uh, run out of time. But one, I want to share a parable with you that's meant a lot to me uh, over the years, and it's a Buddhist parable about the lion and the sheep. And that is the parable that... Once upon a time, an orphan lion who was very young was found by a flock of sheep and raised as a sheep. And so the lion learned how to eat grass, and the lion learned how to love his sheep brothers, and the lion learned to be quiet and not roar. And he never learned any of those things because he was raised by sheep. And the he was very he thought he was content he thought there but in the back of his mind he knew that there was something that was wasn't right he didn't know what it was but 
he was acting like a sheep. He was a good little sheep, and so, and he was popular among all his sheep buddies, but still, something just wasn't right. One day, an old lion came by and saw this lion walking around eating grass with a flock of sheep, and he walked up to the lion and said, what are you doing? And the lion said, I don't understand. And the lion said, "What?" the older lion said, why are you with these sheep? And the younger lion said, that's because I am a sheep. And the older lion said, no, you're not. And the lion said, yes, I am. And so the lion, older lion said, come with me. And so they went down to the pond, and the older lion motioned at the water and told the younger lion, look at your reflection. Do you look like a sheep, or do you look like a lion? And the lion recognized that everything he had been told, everything that he believed, everything that he thought was true was a lie because he was not a sheep. He was a lion. Now, there are two morals to this story. One is we're all lions who think we're sheep. And what we need to do is look at our beliefs Find out whether they're actually working for us or not. Find out if we, you know, one of the beliefs that we all are guilty of is the beliefs that limit us to what we think is appropriate. We don't think outside the box. We don't think of what can, you know, what are the great things that we can accomplish if we didn't limit ourselves or if we didn't think that we couldn't do them. And so one of the greatest things that we can do to make empower ourselves and enjoy a truly happy life is to take off the limits and to understand if you can believe it, you can do it. So I'm James Robinson. This is Get Real Radio. And I'm once again, I'm sorry we ran out of time, but I promise I'll be back. Thank you again for tuning in to Get Real Radio with James Robinson. Please join us again next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. This week, open up your heart and look inside your spiritual self. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 